Welcome to a special edition of It's a Long Story. I'm Edwina Throsby, the Head of Talks and Ideas at the Sydney Opera House, and I'm here with Lisa Davis, who edits the Sydney Morning Herald. But we're going to do something a bit different today. Yeah, I think we should swap chairs, don't you? You want to swap chairs, Lisa? Let's do it. I think it's my turn to ask the questions, Edwina. Okay, we can give that a go. (laughs) We're going to talk about Antidote today and the exciting program that you've got coming up. Tell me, why do we need Antidote? Look, I think that Antidote is, it's a response to our times. Mm. You know, we live in, we're living in an age which has, I would say, really serious uncertainty. Antidote provides a place that people can come from all around the world to look at the things that are going on in our world, Mm. from politics to the environment to, you know, science, Mm. all of those things, and try and work through some practical solutions. Mm. I mean, if we can't get solutions, then at least we can get the starts of conversations that might lead to solutions. And if we can't get consensus, then maybe we can at least get some understanding and move forward. Absolutely. Let's get into the specifics. First of all, let's start with Kim Gordon. Explain uh, explain to people about Kim. <laughs> I mean, seriously, if my teenage self knew <laughs> that Kim Gordon was going to be coming to the Opera House and I was going to be meeting her. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, uh, look, my teenage self is loving me right now. <laughs> um, so Kim Gordon, of course, is best known as the front woman for Sonic Youth, mm. um, which was, you know, a seminal art punk band that started in New York in the 1980s and kind of took over that whole scene. Mm. I think that it's really interesting to think about art as a response to politics. Mm. I think that one of the things that Sonic Youth was pressing against in the 80s was kind of a political era that was shifting. You know, Reagan had come to power in the mm. United States. Um, Thatcher the, in the Thatcher in UK, Britain. Yep. Exactly. There'd been there'd been sort of some big kind of political shifts, a shift towards neoliberalism. Mm. And I think given the times we're in now where there are again kind of big political shifts mm. globally, it's interesting to think about the differences and similarities between the scenes back in the 80s and early 90s mm. and the 2010s. And, and I think that Kim Gordon, who's sort of lived through it, kind of really been at the absolute epicentre of this sort of movement, yeah. the, these sorts of movements for decades now and mm. hasn't stopped her activism and mm. hasn't stopped making music and hasn't stopped making art. I think that what she has to say about the relationship between art and culture and politics mm will be really worth hearing. The lessons of the 80s in 2019. I know, right? Mm, and mm. what wisdom and mm. what insight that she yep. can bring. Older, wiser and probably far more informed on some of this stuff than uh, the rest of us. Um, will she be giving a solo talk? Yeah. yeah. So, she, so she's going to be she's going to be doing an in-conversation event to open the festival. Um, and and honestly, I just <laughs> cannot wait. I mean, it's going to be such an effort for me not to just fangirl ridiculously over <laughs> All her. those Sonic Youth fans better get in early. <laughs> Moving along to another solo talk um to Ray McKesson a civil rights activist from Baltimore now uh he's got a really interesting story doesn't he yeah look I mean he's really emerged as a leading voice in the Black Lives Matter movement Mm. and I think that Black Lives Matter is again a, a super interesting movement now because it's a movement that's both kind of utilized the online environment in order to organise, mm. particularly in its early days, but now is kind of threatened by its online activism because mm. of the kind of monitoring of online accounts for a lot of the BLM leaders. And and and, and so I think that they're at a really interesting point. But I think that D-Ray is a, is a super, super powerful voice in all of this 
And he's got a book out um, on the other side of freedom, which I'm sure he will be talking to some of some of yeah, the issues yeah, raised I there. Yeah, I mean there, exactly. Yeah? So, mm. so, so it's really about you know his personal story, but the issues of, mm. of freedom mm. and and things you know, and mm. and just the really really entrenched racism mm. in a lot of the institutions and structures in the United States. I yeah. mean, I don't think that the United States has ever dealt with its slave-based past yeah. and I think that all the conversations that are happening around that at the moment are really important. I think that D-Ray, mm. you know, is a really important voice for Black Lives Matter, which I think has become kind of... It's a real touchstone. Yeah, for, it's where the civil rights movement, yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. kind of the equivalent of what the civil rights movement was. I think that it's, it's a response to specific events, you know, mm. police brutality against black people mm-hmm. but, and murder of black people. But, mm. but, but I think that it's it's come to embody a lot more, and I think that's where D Ray is a really powerful voice because he has taken it into that new space. He's yeah. one of the people that's taken it yeah. into that new space. So moving on to Deborah Lipstadt. Now she's a famed Jewish academic and has written extensively on uh, anti-Semitism and and issues surrounding that. Um, what prompted you to invite her? Look, I think that Deborah Lipstadt has been a really strong voice in the in the Jewish community for decades. Really, I mean, she's she's a towering intellect, and I think that her early work on the Holocaust um, did a huge amount to kind of really establish both academically, but also in the popular mind, mm. kind of complete devastation of that atrocity mm. and the the kind of long tail of the impact on that mm. for for the Jewish diaspora all mm. around the world. Yeah. She had a really public spat uh, several years ago with the Holocaust denier David Irving and the film Denial. I don't know mm. if you saw it. Um, it's on SBS at the moment if you want to watch oh, it. It's, must, it's, 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 a, it's a great one. Mm. Um, came out of that. Just the fact that there are people that still, you know, like and not just a few nutbags, like, mm. like a lot of nutbags mm-hmm. who still deny mm. that the Holocaust happened yep. is important. And I think what she's done in her latest book, which is about anti-Semitism, mm. is synthesise decades of not just her academic research but also her personal lived experience mm. as a high-profile Jew Um, who's been under attack by a lot of conspiracy theorists Mm. and people like that to really look at the issue of anti-Semitism globally, place it in a historical context, but Mm. also look at what it means for contemporary Jews and and people in society more broadly. It's a really fascinating book. It'll be a great conversation. So Deborah's work obviously talks a lot about identity and and identity politics, which leads us into another fantastic discussion. There'll be a panel involving Stan Grant at Antidote. Um, He, of course, has spoken and written an awful lot about his identity and, and Australia's identity and, of course, has a book, Australia Day, out at the moment. This discussion is so important in Australia right now, isn't it? Yeah, look, I mean, I think I think it's it's probably the discussion in Australia right now. Stan's book about Australia Day and his writing more broadly about identity, mm. I think, is really interesting because I mean, like, and so important mm. at the moment. It really um, is because I think that what he he's really grasping the nettle. I mean, mm. this is this is an incredibly difficult, really charged conversation it in sure Australia is. and mm. globally mm. because there is this huge tension between the need to recognise where you come from, be it sort of racially, culturally, religiously, your sexuality, your gender, mm. all of these kind of identity issues mm. which play such an important part in the way that all of us see the world, the way that our opinions mm. are formed, you know, the access that we have to platforms to speak from, all mm. of this. Mm. But at the same time, 
there's a danger that identity comes to dominate the conversation in a way that means that um, our common humanity gets mm. lost, our yeah. compassion gets lost, and we stop listening to each other. Mm. And I think that what Stan's trying to do with a lot of the public speaking and the writing that he's doing at the moment is really try and um, engage with the complexity of these issues. He has that wonderful way of speaking about the moment uh, that Australia was born, which is somewhere between the ship and the shore. Right. And, and he too is a product of exactly that moment, being of Irish heritage mm. and also, of course, his Indigenous background. So he's got an incredibly interesting perspective, doesn't he? I think so. And I think that, you know, you can't separate those things. No. Um, what I like about Stan is that he takes it beyond just that sort of personal conflict. Oh, definitely. You know, and expands it into into the bigger debate, which mm. is so fraught. But I think that having a conversation on a global stage mm. about these issues specific to Australia, mm. because I think it is interesting here. We are a colonised country. Yep. We are, you know, our, our, our contemporary society is the product of massacres and mm. dispossession mm. and all of those sorts of things. And, and reconciling that history with what we want to be seen as today and in the future right. is a huge conversation. In a way that acknowledges the mm, history and absolutely. pays respect to the people that, you know, are still suffering as a result of that legacy. Of course, yeah. Um but but also kind of looks to the future and how we can make make sense of it in it, order to in order to um you know embrace a future in, with some unity exactly involved. yeah exactly I'm looking forward to that one myself changing tack slightly got a really amazing um guest at Antidote Habib uh, a Rohingya refugee who now lives in Melbourne he's Edwina going to be speaking about the persecution faced by his people, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, I think that this has been a complete catastrophe and atrocity that's been happening kind of on our doorstep mm. for years now. And in a situation like with the Rohingya where there's been persecution for decades and decades and decades, but it's really reached crisis point in the last few years, mm. I think there's a danger that they kind of slip out of the public consciousness, mm. you know, like like there's nothing, nothing hugely has changed. And so, mm. you know, like, and I think it's really important that we keep it in the public consciousness. And his personal story is just heartbreaking. I mean, he escaped torture and persecution and has has travelled, you know, has had to flee to various countries around Southeast Asia before arriving by boat in Australia in 2009, but then spending all those months, 32 months, I think, in detention centres. Yeah, and I think that the real tragedy of Habib's story is that it's all too common. Mm. You know, I mean, I think that that this is something that happens. Um, you know, as 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 populations are getting displaced by wars around the world. Um, and and Habib's memoir, first they erased our name. I think the title of that mm. says a lot because the the Myanmar government really is trying to kind of deny the existence of the Rohingya. Another fascinating event involves American journalist Steve Cole. Uh, he's the Dean of Journalism at Columbia and has been the managing editor of the Washington Post. I think it's interesting sometimes to get a perspective that's sort of broader than Australia. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, he writes regularly for The New Yorker. As you said, he was top dog at The Washington Post. So he has the perspective of of sort of media and, and who mm. how the sort of freedom of speech public mm. debate plays out. You know, in a liberal democracy, we want to believe that everybody can can, can have their say, can have their say. Mm. and and there's something really important in sort of mm. public debate around ensuring that people can speak their views freely. But you know, you need to recognise that mm. there are people that are genuinely 
hurt or affected by certain views being expressed. Mm. And those people are often people with less power, people yeah. with less agency, mm. um, you know, people with less money, people mm. with less education. Yeah. And it's a really hard balance, isn't it? Right. And providing a fantastically different perspective on that debate is, of course, Egyptian journalist Lena Atala. Now, she's going to be involved in a couple of talks at Antidote. She's got a fascinating perspective, doesn't she? I mean, she's a Cairo-based independent news website editor and it's a pretty different media climate to what we know here in Australia or in the US. Well, that's exactly right because mm. I think that living in broadly liberal democracies that the freedom of speech debate tends to be just about that, about freedom of speech, about mm. who gets to say what, mm. and, and the consequences can be hurtful but they're very rarely fatal. Mm. Um, I think that one of the things that, um, that Lena brings to the conversation at Antidote is what happens when speaking out is actually really, really genuinely dangerous. Mm. I, I think one of the things that's interesting um, with Lena and and other journalists who are working in hostile regimes is that they're not a correspondent. They're, mm. they're, they're, they're not, you know, sort of flown in for a few years by the Herald and are coming back to their, exactly you know, right. yeah. to, to, to their nice safe house in Sydney, <laughs> you know, after their posting. They're living this. So one one of the other panels that mm. we're that we're putting together, Lena's going to be with the fantastic Filipino journalist Maria Ressa. Yes, and Rappler is the organisation of uh, the media outlet that Maria co-founded, I believe. And in fact, um, I was interested to read that Rappler is a sort of combination of the words rap, um, which means to discuss, and ripple to make waves. And she's certainly done that, hasn't she? Right. I mean, Maria, you know, she started Rappler several years ago mm. um, as a Filipino-based social media platform with mm. a news focus. Yeah. It became wildly popular mm. in the Philippines and it became the site of, you know, political conversations mm. and, and that sort of stuff. But then Duarte came to power mm. and I think the importance of Rappler was really then like really kicked into overdrive yeah. its significance. Well, and she's been in and out of jail, as I understand it, and obviously has huge challenges in maintaining that public, well, that debate and the issues in the Philippines. Yeah, I mean, the personal cost that she's had mm. for being such a vocal critic of Duarte's government, mm. or if we can call it a government, let's call mm. it a regime, mm. I think that she's paid an, an immense personal cost. I mean, it's really dangerous yeah. what she's doing. It's It's legitimately dangerous. So yeah. I think that... I think that it's interesting to think about the sorts of people that choose to speak up and speak out in the media against their governments or against their leaders or against the authority in their countries. Um, think about the good that that does and, and also the cost that they pay. Let's take a slightly big step back and <laughs> that's all some intense conversations that will be happening and so important. Um Escapism. <laughs> this will be um, this will be a great conversation. Are we? And I think it's going to look. And you can explain. Are we becoming more or less obsessive in our in our consumption of pop culture and the fads? This was quite personal for me. <laughs> okay. Because when I was when I was researching all of the things for Antidote. I would find myself coming home in the evening and just like, oh, my God, can I just watch 10 episodes of The Good Place in a row, please, now? I cannot deal <laughs> with keeping on thinking about all of this. And I started thinking about that in the context of the rise of things like astrology. You know, I mean, mm. astrology is having such a moment. And I, I was like, is this all connected? And I wondered whether, again, in uncertain times, whether mm. we're looking for 
answers from all sorts of fields, where the mm. people are looking to kind of alternative therapies, wellness, astrology, um, you know, um, losing themselves in binge TV watching, where their oh. escapism is becoming a thing. Absolutely. And the panel you've got there, I mean, writer Bridget Delaney has written uh, a whole book about wellness. Yeah, and, it's really funny. And it's very entertaining. <laughs> um, and, you know, a couple of the other guests for that panel will, will really dig into that stuff, won't they, and their own escapism perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we've got Zing Zheng coming from Britain. She edits broadly the um, Vice Media women's platform. Yeah. And and so she's like a culture vulture. She's mm. she's all over this kind of stuff. And then um Patrick Lenton, who writes for Junkie, his article about whether Queer Eyes Anthony could cook or not was <laughs> was like great reading. Viral. Yeah. And um and, and was read a, a, a million times mm. or something. So I think that that's just a little space for people that want to come and, and like engage with the non-engagement. I was going to say engage with disengaging, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also art, of course, is an incredibly important part of Antidote too and a way we, you know, channel our energies um, widely. Um, Sydney-based artist Jason Fu uh, is going to lead a procession across the forecourt. Tell us about that. Yeah, look, this is the first year that we're running a really, really exciting initiative out of Antidote, which is to support public art with a political or social focus. Mm. Um, we're supported by the Arrow Collective in Sydney. And and what Jason is doing is drawing upon his Chinese-Vietnamese heritage and creating a kind of dragon style parade you know and mm, on, on Chinese yeah, New Year yeah, yeah, you get amazing. the dragon parade so he's been working with school kids in Western Sydney Great. to make the masks and the costumes and they're going to have a full style parade which is going to be looking at the way that we make our voices heard and the way that we respond to things like climate change mm. um, and it's going to be completely interactive families should come down oh, um, you know listen to the drum beats dance along with Jason and his crew and it, it's going to be fabulous fun well, there's nowhere better to be on a beautiful Sydney day than the front of the Opera House. So exactly. um, it sounds like a, a place to be. There's a few other workshops and things. Of course, the Sydney Morning Herald, um, as the media partner of uh, Antidote, will be running a, a live episode recording of Please Explain, which is our podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, any other little things that you wanted to advise people about, the tarot reading? Yeah, I look, hear? I mean, we, we're running a, a series of workshops. We want them to really tie into um, to themes within the festival itself. So we're doing a mending workshop. So this is a response to the to the huge amount of waste that we generate and particularly in fast fashion, you know. Mm. I mean, we all, when things wear out, we just chuck them out. We don't kind of mend them anymore. Mm-hmm. I, re- I remember my mother and my grandmother sewing on buttons, taking hems up and down, darning. Yeah. Yep. jumpers, all of that, those arts are being lost. Mm. So what people are going to be able to do at Antidote is bring in their <laughs> item of clothing. I've got six things in I my mean, mind right? already. <laughs> you've, you've, got, you've, got, you've got things in your wardrobe that you've been thinking, I'll take down that hem one day, yep. that's just a little hole, I'll fix yep. it. Yep. You know, maybe you don't know how to do that. Bring them in. We'll have people on hand, experts, sewers, clothes Super. makers who yep. can help you do that. And then in a nod to the escapism panel and, and, and the idea of, of looking for answers in all sorts of places, we are conducting a mass tarot reading. This is So this Psychic is Sarah is going to be sitting in the <laughs> northern foyer of the Opera House and people can come along with their question so and good. she's going to do a mass tarot reading and see. See if she can come up with some answers. I think we might get a, the Sydney Morning Herald might get a few stories out of that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, in in wrapping up, Edwina, um, let's give people the important stuff. Um, where can they get tickets? So they can go to the Sydney Opera House website, so sydneyoperahouse.com, um, and just follow the links to the Antidote website. They can Google Antidote Sydney Opera House. That will take them straight to the website um, where they can find their tickets. Um, uh, you can get multi-packs. And there'll be a few more um, exciting uh, announcements to the lineup, won't there? We yeah. can't, can't say too much. I am still working busily on a few big announcements, so um, so stay tuned. There will be updates. Excellent. Well, we better let you get back to it. Thank you, Lisa. It was so fun to talk to you. <laughs> so good. Thanks, Edwina.